AI is not going to put you out of a job. Someone using AI will. AI isn't running itself. You still, as an architect, have to put in various. You still have to have a model, for goodness sake, as a substrate. You know, like it's not going to create it just out of nothing. And so you use your model, you know, as the substrate. And then it's a tool, just like Enscape's a tool, just like Revit's a tool, just anything else. It's a, a tool in your tool belt to help you do your job and do it faster. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello, and welcome to Architecting. Okay. Hi. Oh, hey. Hey. How's it going? Good. Good evening. Welcome to Architecting. Yeah. Well, welcome back. Should I go on another rant about how it... No, just no. skip the rant. Okay. How I don't... How it's hard to get these out. We, it's summer. It's hard to... It feels like there should be more time to do things, but there's less. Yep. Uh, what have we been up to? We've been busy. We we wrapped up two high school architecture summer camps that we were lead instructors for. Mm-hmm. That took some time. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun and and discouraging and optimistic all at the same time. Architecture is so weird where you can we can study it and we can think so hard about it but it can also be very simple yeah you can we you know we we had 40 high schoolers from around the country come in for one week and we designed a they designed a half mile tall vertical city futuristic futuristic made up out of how many different units i mean we made it kind of exoskeleton and then they filled it in and it's just amazing to see them think through everything and yeah they did a great job uh, a little too much passion sometimes and <laughs> and it's it's interesting how fast you can design something you know like yeah. you can take forever you can take years on a house or you can design a well a whole you, city you're in not a really week. designing a whole city but <laughs> yeah that was for the ace mentorship program camp that was really awesome yeah designing it designing a whole city in it in a matter of seconds, that takes us nicely to this guest that we mm, have here. Good transition. So today we have uh, Bill Allen on the show. Uh, so it's kind of a, a slightly different type of guest. You know Bill, right? I know Bill. He's yeah. a he's a like a like a celebrity sort of. He uh, is. So yeah, Bill Bill's an in- interesting guy. Where he he was working for an arch- large architecture architecture firm as a as the their BIM manager. And he just seems like he just soaks up different technology and ways to do things and then started his company, uh, Evolve Lab. I ran across him. Uh, we hired him at, at one of our uh, at one of the firms to kind of redo our Revit uh, template, but he, he can do much more than that. And it's amazing the, the sort of like plugins and and apps that he's that their team over there at Veris has created. So Go check those out. There's a lot of different time-saving things. Did you say team over at Evolve Lab? What? You said team at Veris. Oh, yeah. Not Veris. Evolve Lab. That's what the company's called. Yeah, I mean, they have a bunch of different programs and plugins that they've they've created, and we get into a lot of those in the in the episode. Um, but I think the, the most profound one, easily the pro- most profound one they've created is called Veris. And so this is a, a AI generation tool we in the bonus part he goes through a tutorial with me or shows shows me uh the program and i'll be posting that so you can see that as well 
but it just gets into a really interesting realm and how quickly AI has come into the design field. Yeah, I recently asked Bill Allen to add, join a panel with the Gensler Southwest region just about AI. We had four panelists and it was a really fascinating conversation. And it seems like Evolve Lab is just kind of at the forefront of all these different tools, not just Veris, but they're they're really pushing things that are going to get more efficient and quicker and make room for other design opportunities. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about AI? Like, I had a hard time sort of formulating my opinion on it, or not my opinion, but voicing how I feel. I think I think I feel it scares me and it amazes me. It amazes me how quickly it can iterate. And so we he he shows me he shows me this Varus, I think it's version one. And it's amazing, you know, it's a text-based generation tool. You can use, but the thing that's different about this compared to like Midjourney or something like that is that you start with your own geometry. And so you're bringing in your Revit model as a base. And then it has different sliders for creativity sliders, stylistic sliders, whatever. And, and it's pumping out images and iterations of your model. I tried it out. I think I was trying to do something too specific with it. I already had kind of a, a house that I just wanted to kind of study minor changes to. And I, I was kind of disappointed with that because it was just doing these big changes to it. Now they've come out with version two geometry override slider on it. So it can keep your geometry and it has a lot smaller tweaks to it. But I think, you know, the fear, the, the fear comes in of, you know, trend or, or whatever of a, of a kind of like pin, Pinterestification of architecture, especially that you see sometimes in architecture school or in the profession where you're, you're just taking these Pinterest boards that your client's giving you and you're copying, pasting and, and collaging something together and it's coming up with the latest trend and, and slapping it out. And I think that the fear for me is like this, this AI, these AI tools makes that even easier where you're you're just creating and you're 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 generating geometry so quickly and it looks so good but then what's behind it the ideas and the 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 meaning is not there yeah i my, with my experience i'm not actually scared of it like i went through a phase where i was like this is terrifying and and now um I was sitting on a jury recently and they were using AI for this um, design studio. And I realized that like the critical eye, like the critical designer still has to be there. And you're going to get this flood of information, this flood of iterations. And it doesn't mean anything unless you can say, I went this way for this reason. Like just having endless precedence and then selecting one is not, is not going to produce something that, you know, pushes the boundaries of architecture. I've seen some like really exciting ways of using it, like even just trying to create look feel images where you want this certain material and this green space and you spend like, you know, way too long searching mm. the internet for that perfect image. And you mm-hmm. can just type that into mid journey and get this perfect, no copyright image right away. And then someone else on the panel is actually talking about using AI to generate um, entourage and the right people with the right emotions, mm. the right diversity and how impactful that can be for the storytelling aspect of it and not just the architecture. So I'm seeing all these different, like really exciting ways to use it that aren't 
you know, like they're tangential to the design process because I still think you have to have that critical eye. And I, I'm like everything else, it's a tool. It's going to be a, it's going to be a shift in the industry, but I'm not scared of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bill, Bill says a, a good quote of that AI is not going to take your job. Someone using AI is going to take your job. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think, you know, you, you can't have fear just for fear's sake. Uh, I think we all need to, if you want to be within the critical discourse of the profession, you have to, you have to understand it and figure out, like you're saying, how, how you can use it in different ways. I, I think that there's like this inner child fear of mine that it replaces me of the iteration and idea generator that then the client can look at the 12 options and just pick themselves. Like, but like you're saying, there still has to be purpose behind the iterations. There has to be a reason to distinguish the direction and we're trained to think about so many different variables within the design field that AI cannot consider those things through the iteration. Yeah. <laughs> I think dun, that's dun. the crazy thing is just how fast, how fast this has come about. And yeah. I mean, and, and it's bringing it back to Bill. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly they brought this out. And I made a sort of joke about him being a, a celebrity, but like he's very much at the forefront of, of this of integrating AI uh, with with architecture especially and very connected in with that with the world and in the kind of movers um, what did you say like somebody was really impressed that you had brought him in and then they're flying him to California and yeah colleagues in LA were really excited he was joining the pal- the the panel and I think I think he's going out to meet with them out there yeah but I think overall just I've met with him multiple times when I've gone out on different iterations of my own firm uh, just to talk about business and to talk about life and, and ad- advice. And, and he's, he's, he's been a great friend through that. And it's impressive to see what he's built and it's just the sky's the limit for him. So yeah, I, I enjoyed this conversation. Uh, check it out. But first, here's a few messages from our sponsors. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. And now back to the show. How's it going? Really good, man. Really good. Thanks. How you been? Good. I know. A long time to see. Yeah, it has been a while. It's it's like what a bad friend. I didn't even know you moved out of the state. And uh, <laughs> it's all right. I'll hold it against you for years and years to come. But that's good. Yeah. Each time you see me in person, you can hold hold against me. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's funny. Right. It's nice having you on. I, you're nice and prepared. You're like a, you're like an interview master. You're getting interviewed all the time. You've got your nice microphone set up and. Oh, everything. I don't know. I've been invited a few times on some podcasts. I always enjoy them. They're always cool. I enjoy the conversations, and it's cool to see like what others are doing in the industry and chatting shop and other things. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I'm jealous of you. I mean, you know, you're like your business is like set up to, to network and integrate with other people and. And it's like, 
that's the stuff I like doing, but I just interview my competition and you're interviewing possible clients. It's a smarter way, but... It's cool. Like I used to work at HDR architecture for eight mm. years. Mm. And when I worked there, you know, I, I knew how HDR did things, like how they put together drawings and, you know, their design technology stack and stuff. But I only, I was in that HDR bubble, you know, and at that time it was like, man, I thought everybody was using them. Mm. Everyone's doing computational design. And then when I got outside of that bubble, I was like, holy smokes, it's a completely different, you know, world and environment. People have different gradations of like implementing a, a technology. And so what's cool about what I do now is being able to like talk to different people and learn how different people do things. So I feel like I have like a, a much broader like understanding, maybe not as deep into like one company, but like more of like a spectrum of like trying to understand how different people use tools and technologies and architecture. So, yeah, it's a unique position, right? Where, like you're saying, you can get really myopic into one place that you're at and and say, this is the way it is. Or I assume every other firm's doing it so much better than us. Like you don't really know. Right. And, uh, and yeah, you, you guys get to pop in and, and say, no, you, you really can be doing this a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, cool. Well, uh, let's see. Let's let's start off with a, an awkward question. Who are you? In like uh, in like three sentences. Three sentences. Oh man. Say uh, I'm a Christian, a husband, a father. In that order. Mm. Um, self-proclaimed nerd, design technologist. I speak at some conferences and talk at some meetups and stuff. Whether people like really are interested or want to hear what I have to say or not, but. I kind of nerd out about that stuff. So I like talking about stuff that I'm learning about and like kind of sharing that, that kind of information. So I'd say that's me. I own two businesses, two and a half, I guess. I own uh, one business, Evolve Lab, and On Point Scans is another one. And then we own a little bit of a, a coffee shop, my wife and I do. So hmm. Scooter's Coffee Shop. I don't know if you've heard of them, but... Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How, how'd that all begin? Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Omaha, Nebraska. Ooh. 29 years, born and raised... Moved out to Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, uh, represent for seven years, uh, was house poor for those seven years because it's very expensive living in in Boulder, and then recently moved back to Omaha two years ago. So that's two the short wow. of it. Yep. And I just found out yesterday. Um, yeah. So uh, what did you, Omaha, yeah, we, you know, I grew up in Kansas. It's like the the sort of northern neighbor up there and um, oh, yeah. had a lot of... Uh, Nebraska friends and when I went to Kansas State and we're always singing the Omaha praises went up there for a, a fun wedding one time maybe two times but so what what was what was growing up like for you what were you around what were you into in Omaha yeah dude I was a I was a skateboarder so like I went to the skate parks quite a bit I had a buddy that lived on a lake so we'd go wakeboarding a lot mm. um on the personal side I'd go I was in a I played percussion and drums, uh, hmm. so I was in a band. I was actually, uh, I, I was in, you know, percussion in high school, and they fitted me with this massive bass drum, and I was, like, the same, like, 78 pounds that I am right now. <laughs> and so, like, I was out there, like, marching on the field, trying to, like, carry this massive bass drum, you know, in marching band. So, yeah, that was kind of growing up, I guess, for me in, in Nebraska. What was um, technology like? I think we're about the same age, and... And it was an interesting thing of, I think I remember in elementary school, like the school getting computers and like seeing a first email and then like remembering 
Facebook, like starting when I was in college and, you know, like it's, it's interesting where we're not on like the beginning of computers, right. But we're at a certain, certain beginning of it was computer and technology always kind of intertwined with you growing up. Yeah. Good question. You know, like I, I remember actually even before Facebook, do you remember MySpace? Yeah. I don't know I, if you ever had I didn't a MySpace get on, account. No, I didn't. No, no, okay. It was, so my, my so dial I, up in the country was, it was difficult. <laughs> yeah. So I had the MySpace before Facebook hit the scenes. Yeah. I remember I was trying to tell, I saw my kids about this the other day, like internet, like, dude, we didn't have Wi-Fi. It, you had to like tie, dial into your phone, you know, like remember mm. the, the router noise? Yeah. Yeah. All that. But yeah, I, I took a, a computer-aided drafting class in high school. And that's kind of when I got, you know, the itch when I started learning about, I, I was doing an AutoCAD class and I started, I was like, oh man, I want to be an architect. Like I can go design houses and this seems awesome. And my dad was a, a commercial, and still is a commercial washer and dryer repairman. Mm. And I remember for a summer, like I worked with him hauling washers and dryers up and down like apartment stairs. And I'm like, oh man, this manual labor thing is not for me. I don't want to do this, you know, as an adult. And so I went to school for computer-aided drafting design technology. That was kind of my, you know, my runway into that things and in, in design, all things technology and design technology. So what what was that? What was that choice like? I mean, the University of Nebraska has an architecture program, right? In Lincoln. What was that decision like for you? Of, you know, I, I feel like that's a a sort of similar story to a lot of the architects I interview of like getting into CAD in, in high school and, and being inspired by it. Did you think about different choices of, of kind of going to school for different things? Or was it just like, no, this drafting's awesome. That's, that's what I want to do. Yeah, it was that. It was like, I really wanted to do that. And actually I got a, a two-year degree in computer-aided draft. I actually didn't go to proper university. Mm. And I chose that because I didn't want to do all the extra classes. I wanted to just get into like working right away. And that was like the fastest track that at the time I understood to to do it. Hmm. And it was really weird because I did that. And then I started working at HDR. And then I got invited by the University of Nebraska to teach classes there. Hmm. And I was like, dude, I'm not even a, an alumni. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. Like we, we want you in here to, to teach a lot of this design technology stuff. And so I felt like super unqualified, you know, to teach on it, but I was speaking at some conferences and doing some cool things in Grasshopper and hmm. kind of some things in, in Revit. And so I got invited to do, you know, some classes there at the University of Nebraska. When you when you went to the to the drafting degree, did you have a vision of what that job would look like two years later? Yeah. Were you thinking, yeah, I want to work in an architecture office or you yeah, because there's a lot of things you could probably do with that, right? I mean yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to design houses and I thought that was like the way, you know, to do that. Found out like shortly after, Oh, you're, you're more like a red line picker upper, you know, like mm -hmm. you work for the architect there, you have a design architect, design principal, you know, they'll do the design. And then, you know, so that was kind of the big difference I've, I found out. I did get an opportunity to do quite a bit of that while working at HDR though. I still had some design freedom, which was nice. Um, I had a really good boss on the, on the architecture side. Uh, shout out to Chris Barnwell over there. And so he was kind of my mentor and helped me with on the design side of things. So when did you graduate from there? Uh, 2004. Oh, okay. And so you came to HDR here in Colorado or? In Omaha. Actually, in Omaha. I worked in Omaha. Okay. Yeah, yeah, their uh, corporate office for eight years in Omaha. I guess they're, 
there is just so many firms in Omaha, right? Like it's crazy how many firms started in Omaha, all the kind of three letter firms and got massive. So yeah, then that was probably a good time to graduate uh, a lot of jobs. And so then how did you, how did you move past that sort of picking up redline role and into the speaking at conference role? Yeah. I, uh, I was big into just like learning, you know, Grasshopper was a was just kind of getting popular. Actually, what happened is I, I went to a conference called Parametricism in uh, I think 2011, mm. and that one was like really instrumental to me. Where I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible! So I, I really started getting into computational design, and I was really obsessed with interoperability between because I was like always the guy inheriting a, a SketchUp model and, and converting it to Revit, mm. and so I was always obsessed with this idea of interoperability. So I was trying to do those things with Grasshopper but then also just using Grasshopper as a design tool. And then so I just started speaking on those kinds of things and then also got into Dynamo and started speaking on Dynamo. And I was using Dynamo for designing different things. I was in the healthcare studio at HDR. So we did like a lot of hospital projects. And so I'd use it for like vehicular canopies and things. And then, you know, I started attending some of the conferences, but really was just like talking on things that I was learning. You know, I was like, oh man, I found this cool way to design instead of like the way I looked at it was instead of modeling something once I could model it parametrically dynamically. Right. So then I could set kind of the scaffolding for it and then I could flex it and I could create, you know, 21 options instead of one option, you know, in a day just by moving the sliders. And I was like, this is a way more efficient way to model. And so then I started taking that and then teaching that, you know, at the conferences. And that was kind of this, the springboard for me for, for speaking. And so that, I mean, you were starting to play around with that in what, like 2006, seven, eight? Yeah, okay. probably around 2008 and really heavy in 2011. Hmm. Like, that's when I really started using, like the tools started to maturing enough that you could like use them on projects, I felt. How are you getting inspired or, or learning how to do those things? You know, like, uh, was there other architects that you're looking at or are you just like digging in? And like, what was that? Yeah, there was a guy who's still there. Actually, his name's Matt Goldsberry at HDR. And uh, he was kind of teaching me Grasshopper in that season. And so I was doing it on projects. But then if I had questions, I'd ask him about it. And then just nights and weekends, you know, putting in the time. And I, I do like my project work during the day. And then at night, I would devote time to like trying to do it a different way. I was like, I wonder if I could do mm. this with Grasshopper. And so I would use projects as an opportunity to do that. But I'd kind of do it on my own time. And that's just, that's just the hunger there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's just, and, and was there an idea at that point of saying like, oh, I want to make a company out of this and be a, you know, a consultant or was this just like, hey, I want to be better and I can be a better employee. And yeah, at that time, you know, I've always wanted to own my own business always, like ever since I first started, my dad actually owned a lot of rental property and was owned a laundromat. Mm -hmm. And I was always kind of interested at that that idea of owning a business, but I didn't know how to do it. And so, yeah, I've always wanted to, to do it. And I can kind of talk about that transition when that started to happen when you want, but yeah, always. Yeah. So what, what was that like? When did you start deciding enough of the daytime work and just wanting to do the nighttime work during the day? Yeah. So I was actually a, a BIM manager at Oz Architecture in mm -hmm. Denver. And so I was working there uh, as their BIM manager. And uh, it was at that point that HDR was kind of trying to court me and date me to come back. Hmm. And uh, I was thinking about this other opportunity of starting my business. 
And I remember talking to my wife and my dad and they were both like, you know, well, business doesn't work. You know, you could either go back to HDR or maybe Oz will take you back. And so there's I some, there, there's some washing machines that need to be carried up some yeah, steps. Yeah, could, uh... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Definitely not doing that. <laughs> Definitely not doing that. So there's no script for that. No, definitely not. Yeah, that's all brute force there. So unless you get into some of the robotic stuff, I guess that's a thing <laughs> that Elon Musk is trying to do. But anyways, so I was I talked to Oz and basically said, hey, I want to start my own business. I'll be happy to contract with you guys and consult until you find a new BIM manager. They agreed to that. And so I ended up doing that. And that was kind of my runway. You know, I could kind mm. of consult with my employer. And then while I started to try to pick up clients, and my first real big client was uh, DTJ Design in Boulder outside of Oz. And that was that was kind of how everything started. I guess we did skip a little bit there. So what made you move away from, from HDR and uh, Omaha? Yeah, it just felt like a calling to, to come to Colorado. My wife and I came out there 2013 during all the flooding. I don't know if you remember that or if you were there <laughs> I, I wasn't for it. I here but... yet, no. Okay, yeah. So they had all these massive floods. So we commuted from Omaha there during that time period, but just kind of felt like we're supposed to come. And it's kind of coming over the 36 when you're going from Denver to Boulder and you come in to uh, the Boulder downtown area and uh, just felt like it felt more like home, you know, Mm -hmm. than Omaha did and felt like we're supposed to be there. So, yeah. And then Oz, that was just looking at it for a different opportunity. Yeah. So I was trying to get it to be like a a real BIM manager, you know, like a big firm. I actually interviewed at Boulder Associates, but they weren't mm. hiring. I actually ended up getting a, a gig at Lance Bojo Architects as their BIM manager first, but I was commuting from Boulder all the way to South Denver. Mm. And that got old real quick. <laughs> and uh, so then I got, I was like, man, I need to get further north. And so I uh, had a connection. I don't know if you get, if you know Rebecca Greek. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in, the, mm-hmm. she's an architect in, at Shopworks now. Mm. She was working at Oz. And uh, she told me, hey, they're, we're hiring for a BIM manager and put in a word for me. I interviewed and ended up getting the job at Oz. What was that like? Were you the BIM manager for Oz? How many How many managers? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, me. and how many people at the time were there? There was 150 Probably, or, or? Yeah, something like that. I think they had like 115, you know, 120, something like that. They had a Boulder office and a Denver office. So what's what's the life of a BIM manager of an office of 150 people like? Is oh, man. It... <laughs> it's actually my favorite job I've ever had, except for really? what I'm doing now. Yeah. So I loved working at Oz. I loved the culture there. The people mm-hmm. were awesome. There was Nerf Gun Wars. You know, they do happy hours. Like, they ha- they really do a good job creating a really cool culture, I feel like. Hmm. Um, so I really liked working there from that aspect. I really like the BIM management gig because you're not on projects, you know, so you don't get the pressure of like deadlines and working crazy hours. And so it's it's a much chiller pace. And then you get some freedom. Like I like to talk and teach. So I would teach the staff how to use, you know, the tools and implement new technologies and do trainings. And then also, you know, you get to be kind of that superhero for them in a sense, because, mm. you know, they're my Revit's broken or I, I can't get this thing done on my project and you get to be that support arm for them. So that was always really fulfilling to me personally to be able to help people and, and help them on their projects. I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, it seems like such a luxurious thing. I've never been on a firm with a, a BIM manager, you know, and it's kind of like whoever knows the most 
like everyone's like, yeah, go talk to him, right? And you're like, I've got stuff to do. What, like, you know, get out of here, <laughs> or, right? Or or whatever. But yeah, the idea of of being able to have the time and the space to to grow, right? I mean, I guess yeah, you're able to grow your own skills and your own knowledge while teaching and helping other people. And I guess yep. it, and it's it's like most people that work there should be pretty Revit literate, and it's not like you're starting from scratch or something or or putting out a ton of fires but right and so then that idea of okay i've done that for for one firm let's do it for a lot of firms yeah start the business yeah you you talked a little bit about this sort of for any of us this kind of scary moment of starting a firm but having that runway and then that first client what how'd you get that first client yeah i actually was uh, getting drinks with some friends. And uh, one of them was like, hey, Bill, there's this guy uh, named Dave who owns this firm in Boulder. You guys should chat. And we were all there having beers. And I was chatting with Dave. And uh, he was one of the owners there. And he said, yeah, we're thinking about implementing this Revit stuff. I don't know if it's a fad or or what, but you know, maybe you can come in and talk to us about it. Revit, and I was like, oh yeah. yeah. And I and I, I was like, dude, I've been at that time I'd been using Revit for like 10 years. And I was like, oh yeah, like I'll come in here and I'm like, I know how to use Revit. I'll help you guys out. And I got into the meeting and they're like, Yeah, we want to use Revit. Here's the kind of projects we work on. And they were all theme park attraction like projects uh, so they're like you know we want to model a mountain in revit like how uh, do you do that like where is there a tool where's that the you mountain like, button yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you know i know it does topography can you do a mountain and uh, in, uh, in revit or we want it we have these like ride consultants you know and they'd send you like water slides and stuff and you have to think about clash detection of like coordinating you know people and their limbs to make sure mm-hmm. that you know things don't get cut off when they're riding a roller coaster going through the mountain and I had never done anything even remotely close to that. You know, I was working on hospitals. And so I was really in, like intimidated. I put on a good front, like, oh, yeah, I can, I can help you guys out. I've and done so many was, mountains. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but inside, like I was sweating like bullets. I was so unprepared, you know, that I could help them. And how am I going to do this? You know, but yeah, that was kind of my first experience trying to help. How, how, are, they doing, how are they doing that before Revit? What were they doing? AutoCAD and SketchUp. Really? Yeah. And they have some really, you know, they have some really talented artists, you know, so they would Mm -hmm. sketch it out. And then a lot of times they just scan that and then put it on the drawings, you know, Mm -hmm. like physically hand draw. And because you're, how do you model a snake? You know, like, I don't know, like, Mm -hmm. let's just draw a picture of it and let the contractor figure it out, (laughs) I guess, you know. And so, yeah, that's how they did it. You know, hand drawings, AutoCAD and SketchUp. Hmm. So. And so when was that? What, What year did you start? I think 2015, yeah, 2015. Okay, yeah. So coming up on eight years. Yeah, because I, somehow I found out about you, I feel like pretty soon when I moved here in, in like 2016. And I was trying to think about it earlier today. I think I reached out to you. I think maybe we needed a template at 359, a Revit template mm-hmm. or something. Yep. And then you're like, yeah, I can do that. And Hey, it looks like you got some extra desk. Uh, can I rent a desk? And like, <laughs> yeah. you, you guys were in the office with us for a little bit. I remember that. That was pretty sweet. Um, yeah. So after that first client, I mean, did it? And it seemed like you had that at that point in 2016. It seemed like you had like four or five employees. I don't know. I mean, did it yeah. start growing pretty pretty quickly? Yeah, we had. I think at that time maybe two employees, three employees. 
and we're still a small team, so there's uh, seven of us total. Mm. And so, yeah, that's when we started. And um, yeah. And so it was kind of just that sort of word of mouth uh, caring about the services you could provide. Yep. Yep. Word of mouth, speaking at conferences. I did a, a talk in 2016 called The Future of BIM is Not BIM, and it's coming faster than you think. And so like right now, like it, it really took off. Like if you go to YouTube and AU, right now it's the most popular, you know, mm. video, which I was really grateful for. And so from that, we got a lot of work. And then we started working, we made a pivot to starting to work on tools, you know, for mm. architects. Mm-hmm. So we've built out this tool that does interoperability with SketchUp and Revit. And that was kind of our pivot there. But yeah, that, most of it was um, that and, uh, you know, just going to meetups. I'd go to like, the the meetups in the front range rhombus and all of those things and we talk to people and have chats you know and just learn about what they're doing and then speak at conferences yeah so what was the what was the message of of the future of bim is not bim and it's yeah. faster <laughs> watch out you like holding yeah. up a big sign on a street corner like shaking yeah it. yeah it was really me getting on my soapbox and it was a time for me to vent a little bit like we're doing it wrong we're using Revit like a glorified drafting tool. Mm. Um, and so we needed to start leveraging the information. And the, the punchline of all of it was building information optimization. Like that's where we're going. It's not going to be just building information model, but there's data here. So how do you start to do data-driven design and building information optimization and use the data in there to drive you know, daylighting optimization and travel distances and departmental adjacencies and all this information, you know, that we try to do without the tool. And it's like, man, if we leverage it, you know, for that, then it could be really, really powerful. So using, you know, the data in there to help inform design. It is funny. Like, uh, just a little aside, we were working with this other architect. I don't think he listens to the podcast, but we did this like very schematic design, like rendering, like, um, to go off and get fundraising, right? And now all of a sudden, of course, they're like, well, how much is this going to cost? Like, oh, we're going to need to get pricing and stuff. And he's like, you guys use BIM? And we're like, well, we, yeah, we model in Revit. Yeah. And and he's like, okay. And he came back like two days later and he's like, yeah, um, can you export that BIM for me so I can send it to the contractors to get the bathrooms priced out? And I was like, we haven't modeled the bathrooms. We haven't mo- designed anything. <laughs> it, it, like, you still have to draw everything. And he's like, oh, <laughs> I got that really wrong. I need to talk with the clients here. <laughs> you know, but right. there is that that misconception, right, of what BIM is and the sort of like promise of it in the beginning. And then, yeah, we're kind of stuck with how we've been using it. And and so in your in your talk, you're you're saying, okay, it's it's about optimizing this information. Did you have a and here's and here's my product? Or it was just like, come hire us and we can help pull that information out for you. What was the the sort of offering? Yeah, I mean, I had a few examples of how we're doing it, but I was really inspired by a lot of other firms and other companies that were doing some pretty amazing things. Um, so I actually highlighted like ten other firms mm. of like. So I didn't want it to be like, hey, this is just you know a, a pitch to you guys, and I didn't want it to be just my perspective. I wanted it to be like, hey, there's other people, so I validated it. You know, like it's already here. Here's people that are using robots, you know, in construction. Here's someone that's already using data and having this suite, you know, uh, uh, adjacency, departmental adjacency, gravitational algorithm that would go ahead and combine these and optimize them for you. 
And so I tried to highlight like other people that were doing cool stuff and advanced stuff and saying, hey, it's already here. And that was my comment of why it's, you know, faster than you think because it's already happening. Mm. Mm. And then, yeah, that that shift to to tools, I mean, is super interesting. And I'm I'm still surprised that you guys are only seven people because it seems like you're like producing some really crazy tools and getting them out there. And yeah, so the first one was, what's it called? Helix, right? The Yep. So that was converting SketchUp to Revit. Yep. And back and forth or Yep, you go SketchUp to Revit, Revit to SketchUp, and then we also added AutoCAD to Revit and Revit to Rhino. So it's supposed to be kind of a bespoke for all these different model authoring apps and being able to push, you know, the models and the data back and forth between the two. And the AutoCAD to Revit one especially is interesting because you could use it for like as-builts. So if you have like, you know, a set of house plans from like 1986 and you want to be able to bring it in there, send it through Helix, DWG to Revit, and then it will, you know, create the the BIM for you. Like it, it's drawing walls and things? I mean, yeah, it, yeah, it can't. Yeah, so it doesn't know, obviously, like the Z-axis, right? Because right. the drawings just are in 2D. But you could give it the walls. We have this option to set parameters. So you can set parameter for window heights, set parameter for wall heights, et cetera. And it'll draw them. Maybe not a super high ROI for like a house, but if you have like a central utility plant or, you know, some other bigger project with all of that information, then it could draw all the walls for you. Hmm. And so again, that was just you, just that thirst for figuring things out and bettering yourself with technology over and over. Like, I mean, obviously there's a huge demand for that, right? Like, We've all been in firms where they're doing SketchUp models and at a certain point they switch over to Revit and it's like, this is the biggest waste of time ever. But yeah, so so you saw that and did you know how to make that tool or it was about bringing on people that they could do that? Yeah, I just hired people way smarter than me. I don't know how to build the tools. I created like proof of concepts with visual programming like Dynamo and those kinds of things, but I couldn't build like a legitimate app. So I would hire like a computer scientist, you know, to come in and, mm. you know, build it. And, you know, what it is, Adam, it's it's like some people will look at a problem and they go, well, that sucks, you know, and business as usual, where I try to look at a problem. I'm like, well, there's this issue here. I wonder if you could create a solution for it. And so we created a little proof of concept. I'm like, oh, wow, you can actually do this, mm. you know? And so I call it the model drop chasm between these different tools. You know, you can try to go from one tool to the next. You have this chasm and you got to redraw everything. Well. We wanted to see if you could actually, you know, take information from one model, translate it to another, and turns out you can. So, yeah, we try to create a solution out of a problem versus just leaving it linger, you know? Mm. Hey, we're happy to be sponsored by Modern in Denver Magazine. For over a decade, they've been crafting fantastically curated content on Colorado designers and projects, spreading the gospel of good design within our region. And I love how the goal of Modern in Denver aligns with the goal of this podcast, to better build up and connect the community of Colorado designers. So go buy a copy of the magazine at your local bookstand, subscribe to their weekly email list, and follow them on Instagram. Check it out. I've always been interested in you. Like I, I gravitated towards you from the beginning. Like there's, and I didn't even know that you didn't go to architecture school until today. But this idea that you sort of, you bridge the gap really well, right? Of, and then that's idea of, I know what I want. 
I'm doing what I want and I'm cutting off the fat, you know, like if you went to architecture school, that's three years of another three years of like fat that you didn't need. Right. You got right to where you wanted. And then you got into the firm and you're like, I don't need to do these other things. This is what I want. But you see the problems that our profession has and the holes that we have. But then you're able to to bridge that uh, in an interesting way. So then let's see. So Helix was first. And what else? What, yeah, what the, were some of the next ones? Yeah, the next one we started working on was um, Glyph. So this is back to my HDR days is um, I noticed that on every single project, I would do the same task over and over again, you know? So mm-hmm. I would work on a hospital. Here's here's a new hospital floor plan. Let's get to work dimensioning. Okay, dimensioning, finish face of stud. Two weeks, tab, tab. yeah. Yep, yeah, two weeks. Let's dimension all these walls. Tab, tab, tab. There's the stud. Nope, I missed it. Tab, tab. Mm. Select, got it, you know? We create sections of all of our stairs. We elevate all of our curtain walls. We tag all of our curtain wall panels. We dimension all of our curtain wall mullions create the sheets, we place the views on the sheets and we print and we do the whole process all over again. And so I was like, gosh, this seems like even though the each footprint is different and each project is different, we document the same stuff. And so I noticed this pattern. And so we developed this tool called Glyph that does auto documentation. So you could run it, it creates all your views for you, you can do views by scope box, views by rooms, views by category. Mm. And so you could say, give me all my enlarged plans and elevations for all my bathrooms and kitchens, you know, run and it'll create them all for you. Okay. Tag all of them, dimension, all of them. Okay. It'll do that. Create the sheets for them. Okay. It'll do that. Place the views on the sheets. It'll do that. And then what we were like, I wonder if we could even fast track Hmm. it even more. So we created a bundle. So then you could daisy chain all these tasks together. So you could run like my document curtain wall bundle and it will create an elevation of your curtain wall, tag all your curtain wall mullions, dimension, all your curtain walls, create the sheets and place the views on the sheets as one bundle. And so that was the the second one that we started to develop. That's so crazy. It, it would save so much time, right? And I was checking it out today. And why have I never downloaded this or, or, <laughs> or heard of it, right? I mean, these things are filling major gaps that architects need. Have you seen a, a large scale implementation of this by by firms? I mean, are a lot of people, a lot of firms using it? Yeah, we just started getting the word out. So I think we launched December of last year. Oh, okay. And um, the way you were that, talking about it, I thought it had been around for years. And I was like, what? how is this not? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no. So we just launched it last year. We uh, we had some, like I built some Dynamo scripts that did different things like this. But then we wanted to, you know, before last year. But last year was when it officially became like a legitimate standalone app inside of Revit. Mm, hmm But yeah, we do have different people that are using it, enterprise customers, you know, people that have bought for the whole company, people that have just bought a few seats of it. So yeah. And then what what was next? So so I guess so it's it's only been since it's only been what five months essentially that you started rolling out you rolled out your second one and now you have yeah. five. Yeah. And so weeks. it was yeah, really picking up. Yeah. So, and we dual threading some of these. So some of them are working on simultaneously. Another one is, is Morphous. And we announced that one last year, actually at AU. And that one is in closed beta right now. Basically it's a, a co-authoring generative design tool inside of Revit. So there's been a bunch of architects actually that have written some very not so flattering comments about generative design. Mm-hmm. So like Daniel Davis being one of them, uh, he did a very popular article called generative design is doomed to fail. Hmm. And so 
which I agree with them in theory, I, I, but I, I gave a bunch of counterpoints of why it's not. Part of the, the problem with generative design is that you have to be a computational guru. You have to know Dynamo, you got to know Grasshopper to do all these things. No one's writing their own algorithms and all of that stuff. And the other problem is a lot of these tools live outside your your main software, Revit, AutoCAD, whatever. So built out Morphous, which we coined as a co-authoring tool. So you draw the walls and it basically does all the infill for you. Your It does, you know, lays out all your offices and then you can bake it as furniture. And it's a co-authoring tool, you know, the melding of, you know, professional and, and the computer together. And it it's intended to be as intuitive as just drawing a wall in Revit. And so our whole pitch was like, do you have to throw the generative design baby out with the bathwater or can you do like co-authoring and pair it together? So that's the other one that we've been working on. Because that, I mean, looking at what it can do, right? Like you're you're seeing uh, the example is like a office floor plate, right? And and you're talking about, okay, I want to single loaded corridor or something with offices on the outside and you're you're moving the shape and everybody should go check this out because it is really impressive and and able to kind of again just toggle those parameters right and you're yep. you're just able to explore a lot faster so what was his what was his argument against that in in what he was talking about basically architects don't work this way and the main criticism was what well, Autodesk and others have been like pitching as generative design and no shade on them, but there's been like a lot of like, man, this, this isn't the way architects work. This isn't the way we design. And so you had, again, you had to be like a, their answers, you have to use Dynamo, you have to publish this Dynamo script, and then you do what they call optioneering and you got to pick a different slider, move it up or down or whatever. You tell me, Adam, but I'm guessing like as an architect, you don't really want to deal with a bunch of scripts every time you want to do a design you don't want to then publish it somewhere to optioneer it. Like you want it to be intuitive, mm-hmm. like you're drawing, just like you would on a on a board or in in Revit or AutoCAD. You want to do it like a drawing tool, and so that was his angle of why it was doomed to fail. Is that you have to? The main thing was like you have to write your algorithm and all that. And architects don't want to do that; they want to draw. So it wasn't necessarily the the generative design part. It was just that his critique was that the tools were too clunky at that time, mm-hmm. or to because then, then we get into to Varus, right? Which is this whole other hot topic coming up. So tell us about Varus. Oh man, dude. Okay, so Varus is an AI ideation tool for architects and contractors. So I can't tell you like how excited I am about this. It's so cool. If anybody, obviously AI is blowing up right now. Like you get ChatGPT, you have Midjourney, you got all these crazy awesome. AI tools that are happening and directly applicable for architects. And so Varus, the problem with a lot of these tools, again, notice a theme like problem solution, right? The problem with a lot of the AI tools that are available, i.e. Midjourney. If I go to Midjourney right now, and for those that don't know, Midjourney is a text to image AI tool. So you type in, I want, you know, a 47 story hospital, I want, you know, this kind of, I want a wood facade, I want set in suburban background, you know, whatever you want, and it will develop an image for you. And it does images for other stuff that's not architecture related, but it's very popular right now in architecture and people are, you know, using it. The problem with it is that it's not your project. It doesn't have your address where you're at. It doesn't have your setbacks. It doesn't have your space program. It doesn't have any of that. 
And so it'll give you an image, but it's very, you know, not applicable to your site, your location. And so what we did is we developed a tool that uses your model as a substrate. So it uses your Revit model or your SketchUp model or your Rhino model as a substrate. And then you type in, I want, you know, ACM panels, black finishes. I want curtain wall. I want curvy balconies. And it'll use your model as a substrate and it will superimpose those descriptions, those characteristics on top of your model for you. And it's intended, it's a ideation tool first. It'll create an image for you. The end result is a, an image. It's not a rendering tool first that we're working on that piece of it to make mm-hmm. it a stronger rendering tool, but it creates an image for you. And it's this uh, way similar to how you go to Pinterest or Google or other things to try to get inspired for your project. Think about taking Pinterest and applying it to your model. That's what it does. It'll take those kinds of characteristics, you know, steel, aluminum, wood, whatever white, you know, white finishes, black finishes, blue finishes, whatever, and it'll it'll apply it to your model and come up with different design help you to come up with different design concepts. Yeah. And then there's a there's a creativity slider, right? And yep. uh and a sort of and a different uh yeah, how many iterations and like all these other things of it's really crazy. I'm checking it out. If you got that sort of response from from uh, Morphus, what sort of feedback have you been getting from architects here? I mean, it's it's dividing. I mean, it's super divisive, right? This idea of of AI, I think, within the profession. So what what's been coming from that? Yeah, definitely. It's a very you are right. I think divisive is a good good word for it. People are on either side of this fence, and I saw a post. You know, people are like, "Oh, it's going to put us out of a job." I don't think so. I think the I gravitate to the post of someone that's been very, it's a very popular one about AI that says, AI is not going to put you out of a job. Someone using AI will. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, AI isn't running itself. You still, as an architect, have to put in various. You still have to have a model, for goodness sake, as a substrate. You know, like, it's not going to create it just out of nothing. And so you use your model, you know, as the substrate. And then it's a tool, just like, Enscape's a tool, just like Revit's a tool, just anything else, Twin Motion. if you're doing renderings. It's a, a tool in your tool belt to help you do your job and do it faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I've been having conversations with, like you were talking about back at HDR of like, it's easy to stay in your silo, right? Uh, yeah. Where sometimes you'll talk to an architect and they don't even, they've never even heard of BitJourney or like, or you're talking to people and and yeah, it's saying, it's going to put us out of a job or it's this big detriment to the profession where we're about these thoughtful moves and thoughtful concepts. And all of a sudden you can get 50 concepts at once generated quickly, you know, and, and the client chooses one and okay, go, right. It's not a, right now it's not an okay go, right. Like it's still, there's still an architectural process there, but I do, I do like that idea of it's a tool, right. And it's a, co-authoring that that yeah. term is nice of the the sort of co-authoring and there's there's moments where I, I can be laying in bed and i get really really fearful of it and what what's going to happen and then i have to say well just you need to get better at it and that's how need to be the person doing it right and it's like you can run away from technology but it's it's not it's not going to go away right i think i haven't taught the last two or three semesters but i i hear that it's it's you know creating a a dilemma mid-journey specifically creating a dilemma in studio of people now doing these their designs super quest and 
and thinking they're done, you know, or or whatever, um, or having a hard time distinguish. Yeah, when I saw when I saw you guys, it was like to me, it was like all of a sudden AI is just here, right? Like it's yeah. like all these things have been just piling up real fast. There's mid journey, and then it was like, what? Even Bill has a has an AI program now. Like, what what is this? But I mean, is this this is something you guys saw a few years ago and developed, or is this a pretty quick project for you? Yeah. So shout out to my business partner Ben. He actually is the brains behind it, developed it, and so we he started working on it late last year, and then we launched it at the beginning of this year. And part of it is really the barrier to entry to a lot of this stuff was very difficult. You had to do machine learning, you had to have a big server, do all this. And so what's happened is a lot of people now have done a lot of that work and you can now use those machine learned models to help with your design, like to, mm. to borrow from it, to build an app if you want, you know, mm. like you don't have to build chat GPT. You can build an app on top of chat GPT as an mm. example, you know what I mean? And so we were able to leverage that and you are right. Like it's, it's come really fast. And even for myself, a lot of this six months ago felt very like academic. I'm like, I don't know, like, where's the application? Like, where's the rubber hit the road? And then now I feel like I'm in whiplash, like where everything is getting disrupted. You know, people are building all these AI businesses. And to quote someone else, like, whether we like it or not, like cat's out of the bag, like it's here, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. you can, you can like it, you can not like it, you can shake your fist at it. It's not going away. Like it's- He doesn't care if you like it or not, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the internet. Like you could say, oh, the internet, it's so horrible. There's all these, you know, horrible things. Well, there's a lot of good things too. And it's not going away. You know, like the internet's here. As much as you could shake your fist at the internet, it's not going away. Same is true for AI. It's out. It's here. So all of us, you know, have to buckle up, live with it, whether we like it or not. You know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, fortunately, whatever side you land on this. So, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. Then that's that's one business, right? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of quickly like, yeah, so you have your other business that that we've used one or two times, your your scanning company. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So we started on point scans in 2018. And that was just a idea of like trying to diversify a little bit, not have all of our eggs in one in the Evolve Lab basket. And it was a really cool opportunity. Like again, a lot of this what we do is stuff that I just personally geek out about and like, and I think it adds value to other people. And so we do uh, LIDAR scanning, photogrammetry scanning. So like you said, Adam, you've used us before and you have a project and you have some existing project you're doing a renovation. Uh, We come out, we scan the interior, the exterior, and then provide either a point cloud or a Revit model um, is what we'll do as a, as a service. Yeah, that was, that was so nice. This uh, complicated (laughs) house and we hired Bill and he, Scanned it and modeled it, and there it was. Um, yeah, it was a fun one. It was a cool house. Yeah. So, how is that? Are you still happy that you've you created that business? I I think like you emailed me at like one in the morning, and we're modeling this little house in, in Revit. I think for me, and I was like, yeah, this guy has too many companies and too much yeah. going on. But, <laughs> but and there too, right? It's, it's a a more and more disrupted industry, right? With iPhone apps and things and scanning. And um, I mean, I think you guys have this big, awesome scanner, right? But it's getting smaller and smaller and cheaper and cheaper. Uh, What are you seeing on that front? Yeah, definitely. I think it's getting easier to do it yourself. A lot of the, um, you can do it with a phone, you can do it with an iPad. 
you don't get the the tolerances, you know, like the tolerances are, mm. are more inaccurate with some of those tools and technologies. So that's where the light are still really good. Regarding your comment of me emailing you at one o'clock in the morning mm. and working on, you know, starting your own business, something I didn't, and I'm still trying to figure this out, honestly, is like now all of my team get to work on all the fun stuff. Mm. And like, I'm like admin and like contracts and NDAs and, you know, all of that and, you know, Proving payroll and all of those kinds of things, and so so much of my life now is is business administration and business management. That when you sent me that project, like I had this itch that I wanted to scratch. And mm. similar to my HDR days, is like, well, nights and weekends, like that's when I'm going to work on the fun stuff. You know what I mean? Mm. And so that's why I was working on that, and why I was working on it so late. Because like selfishly, it sounds weird, but selfish like i like that stuff so it's it's not so mm. much work to me you know what i mean like it's it's the fun part like i don't know that part never's gone away so like i've really enjoyed it and that's why i was working on it you know in the evening hours outside of office hours running evolve lab and other things because i like it it was fun so that's good that that's the fun stuff for you i i misread that uh so that's good <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i get that with a lot of especially like older principles that come on the, the podcast and right like you the further and further on you you are you turn into more and more of an administrative role yeah. and they're you know working on how to kind of shed that and get back to what you want you know it seems like you have this nice nice nimble team where like you're saying you're you're hiring smarter people who are smarter in these specific things and letting them run down these avenues why haven't you just hired a good admin to cover all that? You know, like, is that, is that possible or? Yeah, it's a good question. I have had certain people that have helped me like on the business development side in the past, like, like a sales role. And that takes up a lot of my time. The admin stuff, I guess, is like, I don't know, like 20% of my time. So it's like, gosh, it's not a full-time role, but you could like contract or delegate it to someone. And I probably should, to be honest, a big part of what we've been doing is investing in our products. So we're bootstrapped hundred percent. You know, we didn't get investors mm. like you do with a lot of these companies, you know, you go out and get investors. And so our services have fed our products. And now that the products are starting, you know, so we basically all of our revenue goes over there and, and we reinvest in ourselves into those products. And so we typically don't have any extra money left over to hire someone for this role. So then it just becomes me doing it, you know, the thing now is like now that some of these products are taken off, now the goal is, okay, let's start to scale this thing that actually works because we would get revenue, you know, from those things, from the products and the services and have the funds to be able to hire those kinds of people. Hey, this episode is brought to you in part by Signature Doors and Windows and Modern Denver Magazine. Now onto the show. Yeah. Well, and again, you know, it's like we have a certain skill set and educational background and then you're getting further and further into this more and more business things. I mean, was that, I guess, two questions here, maybe like, what was that a pretty conscious idea of, okay, yeah, we're not going to go out and get investment because of this, this, and this. And like the second question of what would be your advice for somebody, an architect trying to start a technology company or, or doing something else like that, you know, is, are you happy you went that way? Yeah. Good question. I always heard the analogy, you know, if you go out and get outside funding, it's like hitchhiking, you know, they'll put gas in your tank as long as you take them where they want to go. As soon as you don't, they kick you out of your van and they take your car, you know? And so the point of that is like, you don't have control. A lot of times you're also relinquishing parts of your business, 
but I think as I've matured and grown like more knowledgeable of this, like, cause I was pretty ignorant, you know, I didn't go to school to get my MBA. Like I'm going to get my MBA through hard knock and trial and error and making mistakes and bumping into walls and breaking stuff. And that didn't work. Let's try this. And so like, you know, a big part of it is just trial and error. But I would say like, that's one of the reasons we didn't do it. I'm still debating like if that was the right answer or not, you know, I think, yeah, you relinquish 10% of your business, 20% of your business, you get some capital and then you can really, you know, do it and, and grow it. I think it's just it, but I've heard horror stories. I have a really good friend in the front range, owns a lighting design and distribution company, tried to do a software startup, horror stories, you know, of like the investor was horrible, partners were horrible, ha- got how to get out of it. You know, a big part of it is, is like making sure whoever you're working with, you like them. That's the, I'd say the biggest thing, my business partner, Ben, I like him a lot. He's an incredible mm-hmm. human being and he brings a, a skill set that I don't. He does the app dev stuff. And so that's would be the advice that I would say, investor or not, you know, make sure whoever your partners are, that you like them and that you guys get along really, really well. And you set up good, you know, who's doing what, et cetera. Yeah. You ever Which think, I think maybe answers your second part of your question yeah. too, I think maybe. Do you ever wish you went and got a, got an MBA? I think about no. that sometimes. No, no, yeah. no. I think, there's, I think there's value in it, but it's like a lot of this stuff, especially with the advent of the internet and YouTube, my goodness, you can learn anything, you know, like knowledge is free. You can get a lot of that information online nowadays. So, yeah, I have this insecurity, you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing with business. I yeah, there's people <laughs> who know so much better and I, I don't know. And I was like talking to two of my business friends, like I'm thinking maybe, maybe about, you know, I just got way too much free time. Maybe I should go get an MBA. And, and they're like, no, you know, everything you need to know, just keep going and like, get some advice from people and but it, yeah it's so easy right the to feed into or buy into that insecurity of i don't know what i'm doing or i can't do this or you know it's always inspiring watching you continue to do more things and, and push things further and yeah yeah thanks Adam. Um, you too, man. let's see real fast so well maybe not maybe not real fast but Speaking of pushing things forward, what's the next thing on the horizon? Like what's getting you excited in terms of technology and especially in how it relates with architecture? AI, man, it's crazy. Like to go back, like it's pretty new technology. I know we already touched on that topic, but like it's just getting started. It feels like kind of like when we first started using Revit, you know, or as soon as like the internet started coming out, I think it's just coming. And so I'm very, very fascinated and I didn't realize the power of it. I saw, I've been watching, I've been just consuming a ton of information on that. And people are using AI for all kinds of things, you know, whether it's um, helping with what we're doing, like AI ideation or floor plan generation or renderings, but even like not in our industry, right? Like I saw, you can actually now hire like AI agency for modeling. And you could say, hey, I want, you know, a male 6'4" brown hair, you know, wearing my t-shirt, you know, and you can Mm. hire an AI model, Mm. you know, who would have, who would have thought, you know what I mean? Mm. So like some of this is very fascinating to me to think of like, gosh, this is crazy, you know, that it's here and what it's doing to the marketplace, to the industry, to our industry. So that's where I'm probably most excited. I know some people are hesitant about it, nervous, and we're always nervous about things that we don't know or or understand. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's 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 a really exciting time, an exciting time to be alive. Yeah, I mean, I think about I think about somebody, or even like when we were in high school, right, of getting into AutoCAD and being like, "This is amazing!" Like 
you don't have to draw anything anymore. It's doing line weights. You know, it's like, how can this get any better? Like this can't get any better of designing. And then all of a sudden it's, oh no, you could build a whole 3D model of this project and do it, you know, and it's like, and that's kind of how I feel about AI right now of, of, okay, yeah, this thing is like coming up with better ideas maybe than I could come up with. And uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, applying materials and it's doing these renderings a lot faster. But like, there's no way it can do anything else. You know, it's like, it's like I can't, I can't imagine the possibilities beyond that. And this is like in the first year or whatever, two years of, of AI and architecture in my simplified way of thinking, you know? So it's like, Tell me what the model version of of AutoCAD for AI is. Peer into the future further for me. Yeah, yeah. I think AI gives you superpowers. To or your should point. I just ask AI and yeah, just ask AI? Yeah. Just ask ChatGPT. Yeah. Like, how long is this going to be? How much, going how much longer will I have a job? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, back to that quote, man. I think uh, AI won't put you out of job. I think people that use AI will. And I think if you can use it as an architect and you could use, really leverage it, it gives you superpowers. Like I do a lot of demos of, of Varus now. And I did this post like two weeks ago on LinkedIn or something. And I was surprised, like I did a 20 minute demo and I created probably 50 design options, different materials, different settings. I can say it's in Miami. I can say it's in Alaska. I can say it's this kind of material. This kind of backdrop, I want it in winter. I want it in spring. Give me more glass. Give me less glass. Give me more brick. Give me less brick. And in 20 minutes, I cranked out all those options. There's zero percent. Like that would have taken me like each option easily a week in yeah. Revit, and then post production rendering and all of that. They're on another few days, if not a week. You know, right. two weeks per option. Easy. You know, easy. Where in 20 minutes, like I was able to crank out all of those. And so, but it's an art. It really is. Like people think it's just, it's not like there's a whole art to it. There's a term called prompt engineering. Mm -hmm. So like you have to prompt the words, right? You have to think about what you're trying to accomplish, what the limitations of the app are just like in Revit. Like you can't just model anything in in Revit. You got to think about what the limitations are of the program and you got to think work within those guardrails, those constraints. Right. But it gives you superpowers in my opinion. And it's going to give architects superpowers. Mm hmm yeah, I mean, I think about the stories of of when CAD started coming about, right? Like, I I need to check this stat. Don't hold me to this, but it was something like two thirds of draftsmen and architects at the time lost their jobs or something. Like, like firms oh, wow. would get so much more efficient because of of that. But somehow the profession got through that, right? And there's still enough work, and now we're just documenting things. <laughs> a hundred times more than, than they were back then, you know, like our, yeah. our drawing sets are just exponentially larger and, and, um, and ideally it's, it's leading to better, better quality and better performance. And so, yeah, for everybody, you can be scared, but it doesn't care. It doesn't care. <laughs> it does not care. care the mar- It doesn't care. The market doesn't care. It's here, whether you like it or not. And so I'd encourage people just like, you know, when AutoCAD you know, was here and then this new thing called Revit came out and you're like, what the heck is this thing? You know, people started to get into it. I encourage people check it out and try using it. Don't be scared of it. It's here. Yeah. EvolveLab.com. EvolveLab.io. Yeah. .io. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, like I said, I just, I've always been um, 
just impressed by you and, and energized by you when, I, when I'm around you. And it was great when you were in the office and, and great whenever we can get a client to pay for a, a good scan of their house. But it's been fun watching you from a little bit from afar and developing these these apps and plugins and, and programs. And yeah, I'm excited to see what else you're doing. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, appreciate it, Adam. Thanks so much. You can visit architecting.com. That's architect-ing.com to see images from this week's guest. And please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a great week and keep connecting. Hi, I'm Eli. This show is made by my mom and dad and these people. Heidi Mendoza. Emily Child. Fernando Queiroz. Zach Huff. Trevor Notzko. Aaron Best. Kyle Brunner. Rob Cleary. All right, let's get a coffee. See ya. This is Sarah Hubbard, host of You and Me Kid, a podcast about starting and raising a family on your own. We just launched season two, and I'm speaking with single moms, those still considering, and experts in relevant fields to give you a real sense of what the day-to-day experience of solo parenting looks and feels like. Plus, this season, I've partnered with California Cryobank, the number one sperm bank in the U.S. So wherever you are in the process, this podcast provides some support, humor, and helpful information. Listen to You and Me Kid wherever you get your podcasts.